All right, this is the EricSwanRacing.com podcast. I believe it's number 94. Uh, and we have Sean Thomas here with us today, and he's competing in the uh, Superbike uh, Championship with Moto America, it sounds like. And I believe I flagged for you at Turn 11 at CODA, Circuit of the Americas, over the weekend. Yes, thank you very much. Uh, sure. Yeah, and you, so. got the, you got the number 52. That seems to be a popular number. You know, James Toslin, you used to have uh, Nolan Lampkin. He just changed his number. Uh, I think Chloe Lernan. There's a whole bunch of people with the 52. Yeah, the 52 is somewhat popular, uh, which is kind of unexpected. I'm not sure uh, where other people are picking it up from, but for me, it was uh, just the biggest number I could think of when I was really young, so it was kind of a running joke. It's not a, a May 2nd birthday or something like that? Nope, not at all. <laughs> um, yeah, numbers are a very unique thing for riders. And uh, how long you've been riding now? Uh, you've been racing. You've been you're a professional, obviously, racing in the superbike class. So, so tell me a yeah, little bit so about your experience. This year, uh, this CW Moto Racing Package is uh, aiming to race the full season of Superbike Cup and Stock One Thousand. So, uh, not not quite to the point with the program where uh we can e even manage a super bike so um but we're gonna get there we're putting in a lot of work to uh find every little tenth we can but it's cool that you know being on a stock machine a, a stock 1000 even can be in the same race on the same grid as a super bike and compete yeah. and at certain circuits uh pretty well it, it is pretty impressive and coda is one of the circuits where we see a bigger differential and uh, we didn't necessarily have a perfect weekend. We had some technical issues, but um, so did everyone else. But um, the Superbike, the differential between Stock 1000 and Superbike seems to be especially big there. Um, but definitely, the, it's, as far as it goes from a cost perspective, it's pretty impressive where some of the Stock 1000 guys can finish in the Superbike class. Yeah, and uh, Circuit of the Americas, Coda, I'm wearing the hat. Um, Coda is has the longest straightaway, I believe, on the on the 2022 calendar, and probably most most racier calendars because it's a like a 1,200 meter straight, um, and that's uh, longer than any other track that I can think of. Yeah, it's it's really long, and the the biggest uh, point where the superbikes really excel is from slow speed to high speed acceleration. The electronics they can manage the power really well and uh, get to the higher top end. Yeah, and uh, turn 11 is, uh, I was honored to be put on that corner. It's one of the most crashed corners of the whole circuit. Uh, we had uh, numerous guys go, go down and not only on the front, front when you're going into the corner, trying to you know uh, take as much speed into the corner as possible, people are losing the front end. And then coming out of the corner, people are high siding because they're trying to maximize longest straight away on the whole calendar for the year so uh you got both both sides of it and um we had to clean up a bunch of people but everybody seemed to walk away um you know as a corner marshal it's a little strange in that you can't it makes sense but you can't uh ask about riders condition afterwards like hey my buddy crashed uh, how, how's he doing uh you can't you can't explain or uh, divulge any of the information over the radio because it's a public radio. It's not private. Like any a news organization could could like key into your radio, and that's why we don't see any names. You're only supposed to say the numbers of the riders, 
uh, even if you know who it is. So it's like, like all HIPAA laws for, you know, medical uh, releases and all that and all that stuff. You're not their family member. You can't, you can, you're not privileged to that information. So it's a little, it, it stinks sometimes. You can't really know what happened to the writer unless they post about it on social media or something. Now, I'm, I'm just curious. That's the question I have for you. Um, I'm sure you guys are pretty busy during the race, but are you allowed at all to have part of the broadcast running? I would assume not. <laughs> Yeah, so uh, the rule is don't be on your phones because not only are you going to be broadcast to 100 different countries on TV, uh, so you don't want to be picking your nose or picking your butt or something like that. You know, you don't want to be doing anything embarrassing, obviously, and you want to be paying attention. So you're not allowed to use your phones during while bikes are on track. So if it goes to you know a break or something, sure, you can sit down, drink some water, eat food um go on your phone to do whatever but what you can't do and what people routinely get in trouble for and kicked out and fired basically for is um for for using your phone and videoing while bikes are going by because that means you're really not paying attention i mean you can see in this little window but what about everything else that you're missing you know so there was a guy i think in turn one i don't know his name um there's a lot of first timers uh, but there's a lot of seasoned people Usually the seasoned people are like the corner captains and like uh, I was a flagger. So I was the most seasoned flagger in my corner. So I had like the, the main duties and then the secondary person was like, you know, a second pair of eyes. Um, and uh, so you always have a varying level of degrees of people. But this guy in turn one, he was he was um, he was live streaming or FaceTiming or something on Facebook Live. He was Facebook living, I think, however you say it. And uh <laughs> And he got immediately ejected because they actually monitor, like they know everybody who's working in the corners. They know your name. They know, they probably research your social media. They know about you, that they're not just picking you willy nilly here. There's like a 2000 people who entered to apply to work this position. They only picked like 200 people. Um, I don't know if it's that extreme, but it's, it's pretty selective. So I've worked like 14 events in the last 12 months, 10 months. So I was kind of at the top of the list because I've worked um, Arma, Vintage Racing, ASRA, uh, which is America's Sport Bike, CCS. I've worked uh, Moto America, and I will be working Formula One coming up in the next couple of weeks in Miami. Uh, I've worked Wera, and um, I've worked IndyCar. So that's like eight organizations. I think I named them all. And um, I hope to do IMSA and American flat track also, but those kind of conflict with some other, some riding stuff I want to do. You know, it's great to be able to do all this stuff, but then that means you can't ride. It's like, wow, damn it. I didn't really think that through. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy how big the need is for uh, support and corner marshals for racing orgs around the country. There's definitely a lot of work to be done. Yeah, and at the bigger events, they need like 200 people. At the smaller events, you might get by with a corner worker crew of like 24 people. I mean, it depends on the track and uh, what organization you're going with. And sometimes they'll skip corners. So like, we don't really have enough people, so we're going to skip this one because it's really not a crashed area too much. It's like a straightaway or a kink or something like that, you know. Plus, the only time you'll need somebody there is if you have a mechanical or something really goes wrong, you know, which is pretty rare. So um, it's understandable, but yeah, it's you go through a lot of events with most of the time you're understaffed. Even at this event, we were 45 or so people short. It's like, 
they canceled or whatever. And uh, it's a completely unpaid position. So people are like, yeah, whatever, it doesn't matter. Right. So you get a lot of that going on. And uh, that's what, if I had one complaint, that would be that, okay, amateur events, for the most part, all pay. Professional events, depends who you sign up with, but they mostly pay for, for marshals, that is. And, but when it comes to the world championship where they make the most money, they don't pay. It's like, are you, are you kidding me? Like what, what's going on here? The, the beer vendors get paid, the security, offic- the security people get paid, the riders get paid, but the people who actually run the event and pick up the motorcycles and are flagging for the safety conditions and wake up at 4.30 in the morning, uh, don't get paid. Like that sounds like bullshit to me. That was my only complaint. I love doing it, but um, you know, it's a long commute coming from Michigan, going to Texas. I'm back. Yeah, I definitely agree. That's uh, that's definitely not fair. Um, and also, it's kind of like the "you're welcome for letting you uh, take part in all all this" is kind of the attitude sometimes. Yeah, that's the idea. It's like they have so many people apply. It's like, do they need to pay? But then again, you get these people who don't take it as seriously, or um, you know, who don't show up in the first place. So that's a problem. But um, but yeah, it's it's a great crew for uh, for the people who do show up. Um, everybody seems really passionate and knows a little bit about, you know, motorsports, at least they're not always like the, the guy I talked to, um, or who was in my corner with me flagging. He was, he was a huge, uh, four wheel fan. So Indy cars, he was really into Indy cars. So, um, you get all sorts of knowledge bases. Like some people don't know any, anything about the riders or the riders names. Um, and some people know exactly what's going on in the riders family lives. Like they know everything about it. So you get all sorts of people. Yeah. But, uh, but it'd be, it was cool to watch you race around there. And uh, I saw you going around many times. And what are you normally working on when you go out for a practice session at uh, Circuit of the Americas? Are you working on like just the track layout or you're working on electronics or kind of a little bit of everything? Yeah, so really all the track time I had during practice and the qualifying laps, we were always going out with goals and either issues we're trying to address, uh, uh, better or worse is usually the terminology. Are we making it better or worse? Are we finding direction? Am I finding pace? Um, We were reviewing the GPS lap data and comparing where the pace is being found on certain laps when the tire's good and when the tire's bad. Um, and overall, what I found was I went into the weekend really trying to over just ride the bike really hard and get in on, on the brakes super deep and maximize the drive all the time when really I needed to just be smooth with the inputs and flow and let the bike need to do what it needs to do. Yeah, they say that the guy with the slowest hands usually goes the fastest. Yeah. So it's about just being smooth, even though you want to point and shoot on that 1000, you still got to do it in a, in a smooth calculated way. Cause some as uh, you know, I'm, I've been using, I have a simulator upstairs, um, like a driving simulator, wheel and pedals and all that. And actually one of my biggest problems is I overdrive the corners. I'm going way too fast into the corners. I'm pushing the front tire and then I'm too deep into the corner and I could have been on the gas, you know, 20 feet earlier. If I got in the, if I had, hit the corner right and got my breaking point right. Um, so it's it's about sometimes not pushing as hard as you think you can push because that's not always uh, positive. Definitely. That's a huge uh, part of 
being able to even make the show for Moto America is being able to make those calls of, of what's better and worse in this for sure department. and uh it's it's uh for people who don't realize it's quite amazing how many sets of tires you you guys go through in a in a weekend uh i think the superbike class was allotted i don't know six or eight sets of tires throughout the weekend uh what is the stock 1000 class um allotted for the weekend well i believe we were allotted uh yeah eight eight rear tires and some Sometimes they do it in a, a total number of tires. That way you can use it for whether front and rear, but I believe it was 16 or something like that, but we never used all, all, all the tires and yeah. uh, time was relatively limited. And I missed a big part of the early uh, long, longer sessions on Friday. So we would have used a couple more, but um, definitely over race distance, um, now it depends on the rider. It depends on the spec, whether it's Superbike or Stock 1000, and how they ride. But I used pretty much all of a 0097 Dunlop compound rear tire in race two. Um, it's the right side of it. We're fighting some tearing, and it seemed like everyone was. So it's kind of hard to identify where with tearing. But the left side looked great. And uh, there wasn't much of a of a wear marker left there. Use most of the tire to go distance. And is that considered like a medium or a hard tire? What kind? What compound? Uh, I think that's a medium soft. There, I think there's two steps softer than that, and it gets a little bit confusing because they have Q tires and um, certain tires. We you just can't make go the distance. Yeah, and. Uh... I was working at uh, Daytona for the 200. Uh, were you there as well? I, I can't remember off the top of my head. I was not there. Unfortunately, I, I was uh, working that weekend getting ready for testing at Indy Motorsports Park. But Okay. And uh, so what are your plans for this season? Are you doing the full the full uh, season of Moto America? Are you doing wild cards, one-offs? No, we're going to do the full season, um, uh, obviously, as everything goes to plan. Uh, we're just taking it one step at a time, but up next is Road Atlanta, and I've never been there. I'm really excited to go there, and I think the R1 will perform well there. So, uh, yeah, I'll be at Road Atlanta flagging as well. I'm going to be there like Wednesday to Monday kind of thing, and uh, I'll be working what's called uh, air fence setup and teardown. So putting out air fences, what, what needs to be done. Uh, to set up and sometimes like hospitality for the Motor America semi trucks and all that stuff. All those tents need to be uh, set up and tore down at the end of the weekend. Um, so I did that at Daytona and helped out. That's kind of cool. That's awesome. So I'll be doing that and then the flag in. So actually, I have been flying to every event so far this year because it's been in like Florida and Texas. Um, so from Michigan, it's it's cheaper to fly, but this time Georgia is like 12 hours, so it's a little bit closer. Um, so I'm going to actually drive and save some money. Yeah. Flights are, uh, on the rise right, right now. That's for sure. A couple hundred bucks. I mean, it depends where you go. I've seen flights round trip for less than a hundred bucks to Florida and to, uh, to California, but it's not always the exact airport you want to go to. <laughs> yep. Exactly. Um, but it can be done. I've seen this, this cheap, uh, the $70 round trip out to, uh, out to, uh, west coast california so but that's like with no bags you have to that's you know you have to factor in your bags and all that too that's how they get you You're like oh 70 bucks oh then your bags are 45 dollars 
It's like, how does my bag cost $45 and it costs me $30 to get there? <laughs> like my backpack costs more than my body. That doesn't make any sense. If, if they don't get you in one place, they'll get you in the other. <laughs> so uh, what kind of bike are you riding? Uh, so it's a 2021 Yamaha R1 um, prepped by CW Moto. Um, it's fantastic. It makes a grip of power. And I, I really like the R1 chassis. I've ridden a couple other thousand CC bikes. And uh, well, I guess just one of, yeah, two others. And uh, the Yamaha chassis is just easier to get along with, especially hopping on the bike um, with without a ton of time prior. Um, the some of the other chassis are a bigger adjustment, but I'm. Do you I'm, think that's the bike to be on? Is there a, that that's the bike you'd rather be on than any other brand at this point? Uh, yeah, at at this point, for sure, because um, I have been out of racing for a couple of years. So I'm a little bit rusty getting back to it. So the most friendly chassis was going to be uh, a big help. And how do you, if you've been out of racing for the last couple of years, how do you make the decision to jump to 1000s uh, instead of the 600s? It seems like um, either place would be a good landing spot, but maybe 600 might be easier than the 1000. Yeah, um, as far as riding the bike goes, it is. Um, but I from my experience um on the 600 you have to really maximize every part of the track um you have to be able to make the bike carry roll speed enter relatively well on the brakes and, and we saw that last year with sdk and richie the differential there between setup um and you have to make it exit the corner well and that's a really tough prospect um the the guys up front have the bike really well dialed um, versus on the thousand, you can get away with a little bit more, and especially in the stock one thousand class and superbike, they're definitely maximizing every little bit. So you think that uh, the stock one thousand might actually be an easier, maybe not easier, but but um, easier to get to the front in a different way than the six hundred class. And you have to look at the cost differential. So it depends on. So now with the new Supersport rules. If you're going to run a traditional 600, you're also going to need to spend a, a good amount of money on the motor and have spares and tuning for all of that. And that requires data versus in stock 1000, a, a lot of the uh, modifications and then known mapping changes and um, re reliability is all a known quantity and there's data on all of that. So I think the cost between um, as far as building a super sport program and maybe just the, the bike all the way to spec from stock to spec um, is probably gonna be about a wash. So you probably, um, it's safe to say, or it's, it's uh, maybe still an argument, but um, the stock 1000 might be cheaper than uh, the new 600 class now, cause you could probably spend 10, 15 grand on your engine alone in the, in the new 600 class. Yeah, it really depends how much development you want to do in the cylinder head and how many revisions you want to do. I'm sure the teams who are really committed um, and are still running a traditional 600 will be developing the motor a lot. For sure. So it's it's an unknown, and it'll take them a little to get that uh, 
BOP, right? The balance of performance um, that probably restricts some of the bikes and maybe make um, rev limits to others. Yeah. So, as far as I know, I believe those changes are made as the world championship um, plays out. So it'll be interesting to see if you see a Ducati do well in the world championship, does that affect Moto America's super sport results? Yeah, it should be interesting. I, I actually haven't watched the, uh, the 600 class for world Superbike yet. I watched the, uh, um, the top class, but not the 600 class. So, um, it was cool to see Jonathan Ray kind of bounce back and top rack, you know, he, he kind of struggled. Um, you know, he just kind of settled for third place and he was like, all right, well, I'm not going to be pushing and throwing it down the road. It seemed like he was pretty, being pretty smart with it. Yeah. Um, but then you got the Ducati out front, you know, um, leading the way. So that's, that's interesting too. Yeah. I think three factors we've seen change in world Superbike is number one, Yamaha for the most part is having a bad year on, on the world championship stage. Uh, number two, top rack after maybe after winning the championship is starting to approach his races differently. He would kept it very nice and controlled this weekend, which is good. Although um, like the very first race, like three turns in, like they almost hit each other. I'm like, what is happening? <laughs> I was like, Jesus Christ. Like they, they don't want to like ease into it at all. They're just going right for it. I'm like, guys, this is like the third turn of the championship. You almost collided. <laughs> oh yeah. And so much of it is a mental game. So right out of the gate, They'll, they'll have a pretty good idea of where them stand, where each one stands in pace, but they're going to try to mentally jab one another to hurt each other's confidence right off the start. Yeah, for sure. And, and they're probably really good friends though. I mean, I've heard they have flights and they sit next to each other on the flights and they've been teammates before, like in, in um, world endurance. I know that. So they have a, I think they have a good relationship. It's just when it's on track, all bets are off. They're not friends anymore. They're just like, you know, the bitter rivals, but um, they try to do so respectfully. Yeah, it's nice to see that. Um, and that definitely hasn't always been the case in the past with other riders. So it's nice to see. <laughs> yeah. Uh, they, they don't seem like they're trying to be dirty. It's just they make really hard moves that they're going to cut off your nose. Uh, if you're not in front of them, they're going to take every inch of the pavement that they, they can possibly take. Yeah, and I, I've heard so much of it is mutual respect between the riders. They know each other's capabilities and they they want, you know, they obviously have an ego, but they don't want to let it get in the way and make them uh, not stand up or uh, give the other guy a little bit of room because it's better that the rivalry continues than turns sour. For sure. And uh, going to this coming weekend, this next weekend coming up at Road Atlanta, you've never been to that racetrack. Uh, you're going to be pretty surprised by the elevation changes, man. It's it's dramatic. And then the, the first little S's there, they're so tight, man. There's there's not room for more than one bike through there. It's just one line. It's super tight. You can make passes coming right up to it and coming out of it. But um, I don't know what the actual number is. Turn four or something like turn five ish. It's so tight through those S's. It's uh, it's interesting. Yeah, I think it's definitely gonna the R one's gonna feel like a little bit of a handful through there. <laughs> the track is gonna be uh, not easy by any means. But um, I I also think that just means qualifying matters more, especially on the larger grids like Stock One Thousand is going to be a really big grid, 
at, at Atlanta. And um, so if you don't qualify well, and then you're 15th or, or farther down through turn one, you're losing like 30 seconds to the front right off the bat. So yeah. Um, really matters. Well, as far as ease of track, I'd say road Atlanta is actually fairly simple. I mean, if you've been to Coda, this is nothing like Coda, right? There's, there's like a, a kind of Coda-esque tricky uh, first sector, but once you're out of that sector, you got two right-hander 90, you know, 90 degree turns that have some camber on it, the first one at least. And then uh, you got uh, the downhill braking section after the long straightaway, which is pretty cool that you can make up a lot of time, but you can also throw it down the, the road if you get it wrong. Uh, and then you go up the hill, turn right, and there you're done. So it's like it's it's a fairly quick kind of thing uh, with a with the long straightaway in there. That's that's pretty nice. Your six gear pinned um, at the top of your limiter. You know, probably need to change your gearing to get it right at that kind of track. Um, but uh, it's it's not too much going on. There's there's a, quite a bit of elevation. Um, and you got to take it seriously, but. Uh, it's it's a fun track, and that the last section that's up and downhill is just wild. You just gotta try to keep the front wheel down, and then uh, under braking, a lot of people use the rear brake to keep the rear wheel down, so you're not like coming up too much on that downhill braking zone. Um, but yeah, I mean, if you were to go down on a bicycle and not even pedal, you get like the I don't know, 20 miles an hour. I bet it's like it's pretty steep. Yeah, I, I think it's gonna be a super fun track, and it's really it's it looks technical from a like rider skill standpoint you have to be able to apply the rear brake a lot um in tough situations where you're going into a right hand or down a hill yeah um, that's something that i've been working on um is rear brake usage and i it just becomes more and more important as i learn more but yeah i i think it's going to be a total hoot to go right at road atlanta for sure. And uh, I actually have some videos on YouTube of me at, at Road Atlanta years ago um, in the expert classes. And James Rispoli uh, was in the race with me. And I think I got sixth place. And I was like, I'm never catching him, but it's cool to be in the in the standings with James Rispoli. Yeah. Yeah. Talk about uh, the who's who of motorcycle racing. It's cool <laughs> to be out there with some of the pros. For sure. And I didn't get lapped. That was great. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's always a big deal. But uh, it's a it's a good time, and actually, I've been playing Road Atlanta on uh, Ride Four, uh, game on PS4. Um, they have that exact track, the exact configuration, so it's cool to try it out. And uh, I'm way faster in the game than I was in real life. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah, I think you might be able to get away with a little bit more uh, front end load <laughs> games, but. It's, yeah, it's a, it's a little cheaper than when you crash. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Because uh, I lost it at, uh, I think it was turn six, Red Atlanta. So you're coming up, you can do all the S's, you come up the hill, you do that first right-hander. I lost it there. I got that on film. Um, my bike just did the cartwheels. I lost the front. I was trying to go up, uh, you know, TOBC, the old boat club, one of those riders. Um, I went up the inside of him. And it didn't work out. Um, I was just going way too fast. I was offline and uh, I just lost the front. And that's how it goes sometimes. Done for the weekend, bike destroyed, need a new tank, new body work, you know, clip ons, rear sets, all that good stuff. Okay. Um, but uh, that's how it goes sometimes. Yeah, as soon as it tumbles, it gets expensive real fast. 
You know, I was I was getting kind of pissed off because they were they were uh, they come with three semi trucks to an amateur race. I'm like, what's going on here? Like, this is not cool. <laughs> There's no way. Um, and so I get a little frustrated. They kept passing me, so I'm like, all right, this guy's not passing me anymore. So I I let off the let off the brakes a little too uh, too eagerly, and I uh, got over my head. So uh, right. he he didn't pass you again. <laughs> he didn't pass me, and I did not take him out. I was, thank goodness, but. Uh, you know, you feel like an idiot after you're like, well, I showed him, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and then I'm sure he is watching. He's like, whoa, <laughs> that was crazy. <laughs> yeah. We talked afterwards. He's like, yeah, I, I'm just glad I didn't get taken out with you, but um, you had some ambition. It's like the whole Casey Stoner thing. It's like uh, your, your, your ambition outweighed your talent on that one. <laughs> yeah, I've been there. <laughs> But sometimes you gotta you gotta take chances, but you should make more calculated risks than just uh, I'll see if this sticks, you know. Yeah, and sometimes it's it's really tough because whether you're riding a six hundred or a thousand, um, your reaction times need to be fast. And if you leave that braking, you know, a half second or three quarters of a second later than normal, that's so much extra speed going into the corner. Um, and if you don't have the extra front end grip to deal with it it's it's impossible to save and sometimes you're just along for the ride yeah i've i'm uh, happy to say i've actually never taken anybody out on the racetrack um uh, we bumped bars and and hit and made contact like over a dozen times but never anybody's fallen directly from that contact so i'm proud to say that have you ever uh been taken out before uh, I have never actually been taken out. No, I've uh, it's been clean on both sides, which is uh, which is good. I'm happy to say. Um, now, um, there was one time where I had crashed. My bike was in the middle of the track, and probably 20 riders went by, and then somebody hit my bike. So oh. I don't feel like that's my fault at all. You know, like he wasn't paying attention. It wasn't even on the racing line. Like. He was just not paying attention and hit my bike. Like, that's not really my fault, I'd say. He probably saw it and target fixated. <laughs> didn't see everyone else make it by just fine. So Yeah. Like, if it was, like, the first bike, I'd say, okay, maybe, yeah, that was directly caused by me. But if it's, like, the 20th bike, that's a different story. <laughs> um, but there are some times, I don't think this was the situation, but there are some times where you're kind of blinded by bikes in front of you and you can't see what's going on. And then they move out of the way and you're like, oh no, you, yep. you didn't see what was happening. So that that's a possibility. Yeah, I've, I've definitely uh, been in that situation. And sometimes it's best to just uh, take take the quick way out and run <laughs> off or something else to avoid. But, Evasive action. Yeah, yep. And uh, avoid it at all costs. Um, so yeah, um, is there, what's on your mind you wanted to talk about today? Um, I was interested in talking about uh, just t so tires mostly. So Dunlop just renewed their uh, contract with Moto America through 2025, and uh, <laughs> nice. That's quite the uh, bit of tires. <laughs> more than just over there. And. Uh, I, one of the great aspects in club racing or Daytona for that matter is the tire manufacturer competition. Um, and I was just curious to hear what, what do you think about that? And um, 
what you think Dunlop being the long-term spec tire from Moto America is doing to the series. Yeah, so they just got their uh, series rights extended, it sounds like, for another couple of years. Um, I think it's uh, maybe good for stability that they're not jumping all around, but people seem to hate on the Dunlops. You know, personally, I have never been on the Dunlop tires. Yeah. My uh, my sponsor was always Michelin, so I'm a Michelin guy. Um, I've sold Michelins for years and other brands as well, Pirelli Dunlop, you know, Bridgestone. Um, I sell takeoff, so all these tires that I just showed over here are takeoff tires, and I'm not biased to really what I get. Most of them, I get it super cheap, and I try to sell them on eBay or Craigslist and all that stuff and make a couple of dollars off of them. So it really doesn't matter to me, but what people like a lot is Pirelli and Michelin, and now Dunlops, any takeoff tires from uh, pro racers are obviously a hot commodity because they have a that tire allocation sticker that's so cool to have on your street bike that nobody needs, but some people want. <laughs> or your track bike. Some, some think the Moto America Dunlop truck gets newer allotments for, that are fresher from the factory, which doesn't apply to a takeoff. Um, and then some sometimes you might get a compound that you're area distributor might not usually carry or was a Moto America only tire if you're lucky if you're super lucky yeah it seems like uh if i had a consensus it seems like most people want to be on the pirellis the pirellis seem to be that's what's used in world superbike and that's what i think most people want to be on it's it sounds like the dunlop is a really stiff carcass which you have to be going at or near very near race pace for the tire to feel good. If you're not there and you're a new privateer and you're just trying to start out, probably like myself in the next couple of years, it's probably gonna be a difficult tire to feel good on. Uh, you're gonna to have to heat it up a lot. And um, I don't wanna say right over your head to make a tire feel good, but maybe that mentality kind of thing seems like what is what the tire wants. Yep. Yeah, and uh, the Dunlop, rear tire is is uh pretty good and a lot of people don't have complaints with that um it's just quite a bit different from the 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 front tire is quite a bit different from some of the the other manufacturers obviously it's still very capable um but some some people do struggle with the transition but most of the like anyone in the motor america paddock has obviously figured it out um, and can go back and forth yeah, it's very doable, it seems like. It just might take a little bit of a learning curve, maybe a weekend or two of transitioning and uh, you know, wear a race, wear a national or something, try it out, uh, see how you fare on it, or even just a track day, who knows. Um, but I always liked the Michelins because they had uh, they had a compound. It was like the VA and the VB, which like a, the profile of the tire. It was, it was not really so much of a U, but it was a V. Um, and so when you lean into the corner, you just kind of fell into the corner in like such a natural way. There was none of this like slowly going into the corner. It was like either you're up or you're like leaning. And it was so helpful. Um, I mean, that's really all I knew. That's what I learned on. But um, it, it felt like it was such a natural progression. And it, I think it helped me get, get to full lean probably easier than some of the other compounds or tire brands. Yeah. And, and I'm not sure if you remember when Michelin was first introduced to MotoGP when they uh, went away from the Bridgestone. Uh, they're e- even the best guys in the world struggled with the profile change 
and we're having falls not quite straight up and down on the brakes because the contact patch is smaller there and it took yeah. me just there riding at the world level yeah every little millimeter counts you don't realize how uh how strategic everything is and how uh fine all the measurements are you you change your your ride height or your your wheel base by a millimeter or two it changes the whole geometry of the motorcycle yep for sure yeah, I, I definitely am a fan of the Prellies, but, and I've used them a lot in the past with success and club racing. Um, I, I think um, they kind of help mask some of the setup issues you may have. Um, and you don't have to work as hard to keep the heat in the front tire. Well, that makes sense. Um... You know, so if anybody's looking for uh, some takeoff tires, you can go to ericswanracing.com. Uh, and I got stuff on my website and I'll give you my, uh, my whole spiel here. So I got uh, actually about 35 brands of products for sale that are, are new brands, not even counting uh, the tires I mentioned. Um, and so I use eBay and Amazon and my own website, shopesr.com. But the main hub is ericswanracing.com. Um, and so... I'll go through some of the brands here and uh, see if you know any of them. Uh, I got Akasato, they have braking parts, uh, Akrapovich or Akrapovic exhausts, Bonamichi Racing, rear sets and hard parts. Um, I got Cormoto brake lines, so all kinds of different custom brake lines for motorcycles. Um, the steel braided brake lines are way better than the, the stock, you know, rubber lines that'll give you some brake fade. A new brand I have is Discaciti, Racing, got a lot of Italian, Italian uh, companies here. Uh, DNA air filters from Greece. We got driven racing hard parts, easy grip tank grips, IRC components, uh, quick shifters and electronics, Krieger clothing. We got M4 performance exhaust, which I uh, just got the new t-shirt, checking it out. Um, M4 is probably one of our uh, best selling brands. We sell all over the world, a lot of Canada, Mexico, and the U.S. Uh, Moto D Racing has those cool, uh, those track mats. I don't know if you've ever seen them. You put your bike on them, that they have the, the front and rear tire kind of lined up. You can uh, line them up perfectly. It looks pretty professional. Uh, Mo Tool suspension setup tools are pretty, pretty good. Um, Mupo steering dampeners, that's a new brand for me. Um, they have, uh, just like the GPRs, they have those the steering dampeners to help uh, keep your front wheel kind of in line so it's not bouncing all over the place. Um, you can put out all different settings. Uh, OGO Power Sports is a pretty cool brand to have. Uh, we don't have their their uh, normal clothing line, but we have their backpacks and uh, bags and things like that for for track use. Uh, Spark Exhaust from Italy. Uh, Star Lane Electronics. I just bought one of these myself. Uh, they're pretty high performance lap timers and data loggers. Um, Revit. Revit's a pretty cool brand that's using MotoGP for the suits and gloves and all that stuff. Um, I have an Alpine Star suit over here, but I feel like I should be selling that. Um, nothing wrong with it, but I feel like I should be wearing Revit because I sell it now. Um, Roland Sands Designs Gear. Um, I just bought a t-shirt myself. They got a lot of cool apparel and jackets and boots and gloves and stuff. Uh, Rizoma is, uh, is a newer brand and they have mirrors like pretty stealthy looking mirrors 
uh, for street bikes and uh, things like that. Uh, Rucka, it's got some clothing. Rocker as well, and uh, WRP brake pads. Um, so works racing parts, makes all kinds of stuff, uh, and we have their uh, brake pads now. So um, got quite a few things. Those are just uh, the sport bike parts, about 25 brands or so. And we also have some mountain bike parts and some car parts. So uh, trying to get into a little bit of everything. And uh, it's cool to be uh, selling the parts that I use and that I like as well, because uh, like I want to represent the stuff myself. Oh, for sure. Um, and I did recognize a lot of those products and, and brands. And that's, that's, awesome. that's awesome that you're selling them. Heck yeah. So just trying to uh, fund my own racing program, because as we all know, it's so expensive. Um, so, you know, I, I had 20 sponsors and uh, 50 podiums and a dozen wins and all that stuff. But unfortunately, it wasn't really enough to continue racing, road racing uh, full time. So I try to take a step back build my business a little bit. And in the meantime, I won a, a go-kart championship. I won a mountain bike championship. And uh, that's, that's a cheaper form of racing. And uh, I've gotten into supermoto the last uh, two years and just doing supermoto track days. And I haven't done any official supermoto racing, but just getting my feet wet with that. And uh, I just bought a new motorcycle, which is a, a Kawasaki KLX 300 supermoto 2021. It's got like 500 miles on it. Uh, I just took it out for a track day um, at the local go-kart track. Super tiny track, but um, it was still fun. You know, most people are out there on their 50s, 100s, 150s, and I'm out there on this 300. Um, seems a little bit of overkill for that type of environment, but it's still fun to take it out and try to get rid of all the chicken strips, you know, because I haven't been – I've never taken that bike on a track before. I just bought it. Um and it's street legal. So I'm actually waiting for the title in the mail still uh, before I can put a plate on it. So I'm just sitting in my garage waiting to be ridden. Um, but uh, it'll be a good grocery getter and maybe do some super motor racing on it. Yeah, it sounds yeah. Um, I'm to hear uh, what you think of the cart racing versus racing motorcycles um, as far as how enjoyable it is. Because it looks... I've been in a couple carts and not only are they super capable, but it's definitely a lot of fun. So I love all racing. Um, the only reason I race motorcycles is because it's so cheap compared to racing a car. Um, yeah. If I could afford to race a car, I'd be, I'd be doing that too. Um, karting is as about expensive as motorcycle racing, I would say. It's yeah. just about the same. Um, you're, you have four tires, but they're smaller. The tires, it just equals about to be the same stuff, uh, same amount of money. Now, safety-wise, I'd say karting is way safer. Now, you can still you can still die in karting. I've heard people, you know, they spin around and uh, imagine you spin out and then you hit a pole and you hit your head on the back of a pole. Like, you can die karting. It's possible. Like, it's way less likely, I'd say. Um, and normally, you probably get more injured motorcycle racing, but it does not deter me from motorcycle racing. Uh, it just makes me want to be better at it, <laughs> you know? Nice. So as I would just, as far as the fun aspect goes, you could probably push to the limit easier and a go-kart, I would say for most people, just because of the safety aspect and the, and the fear aspect of, of how far can I push this thing? If you spin out in the car, most of the time you just, you, you lock up a tire and you don't crash and the motorcycle, there's much bigger consequences. Um, 
not to disparage either one of them, um, but I'm I'm fast in a go kart. I'm fast in a in a in a motorcycle on a motorcycle. I think that um, I could be maybe a professional at both of them. Um, it's just like what path do you want to choose? And I think one of them helps the other. I think I think like sim racing, even though you're driving a car, I think that helps motorcycle racing. Um, you know, it all kind of helps each other. You learn things from different aspects of, of driving. Um, and then when you share these different things, you learn things from different people. Like I was talking to my, my friend who has the same simulator that I do, has the same game. He's like, I keep losing the car in this corner and this, with this car. I'm like, well, try this, you know? And uh, he tried it and it kind of worked for him. He's like, oh, that makes sense. So even what I have trouble with, a lot of times with, with a simulator lately is losing the rear end of the car, breaking into a corner, uh, trying to scrub off speed. Uh, a lot of people end up losing the rear and it slides out or they don't feel like they're maximizing it enough. So sometimes if you downshift too soon, the car is at too high of a rev range and it can easily spin out and lose traction. But if you, if you sacrifice a little bit of braking, by not downshifting as soon. Yep. So you're basically losing the downshifting uh, strength of the car, but you're braking harder. The car is more stable. So yes, you might be losing a little bit of uh, braking, but the car, you're, you're gaining way more safety. Um, and then just downshifting later before you have to accelerate, which is really the whole point of what you need to downshift for. You have other ways of braking. Like you don't need to use engine braking as much. Yep. So that's, that's one way if the car feels unstable is to just, you know, sacrifice a little of your braking so you can accelerate harder. Yeah, plus it's whether it's motorcycles or karting, it's whoever is spending uh, the most time at full throttle is sure. going to have the fastest lap time. So the, the goals are still relatively the same. Yeah, and uh, one thing I'm working on in this game, it's called Assetto Corsa Competizione. It's like the GT uh, World Series racing for esports that they use. So I feel like I should get good at this game. Uh, I'd like to do some serious esport racing, but you have to get like all your your uh, your ratings up as high as possible before you can even enter all that stuff. So I was working on getting my safety rating up up higher, um, and so I got it from like eighty to eighty six this uh, just yesterday. Um, I was like, oh, I'm doing so good, and then I got in a couple of races and I crashed a few times, like back to seventy five. Like, are you kidding me? Uh, like, oh no. So now I got to work on getting my safety rating up, up higher because you just have one or two crashes and it just knocks you down a whole bunch after like an hour or two of doing well. It's like, oh, that meant nothing. Those 74 over, overtakes um, are all wiped out by two crashes. I'm like, oh, man. <laughs> yeah, and that's that's unfortunate. Um, but I guess it makes sense for them to uh, monitor how often crashes happen because for the eSport races, they don't want it to be just crazy yeah and the thing they care about and it makes a lot of sense is it doesn't matter how fast you are they're not rating you on your speed they're rating out how you how safe you are and how close you can race with other people without getting into crashes yeah so you could be getting overtaken and lapped all the time but if you as long as you're not causing collisions your, your rating is going to be going up <laughs> that's interesting but it's hard for me because it's like uh, i can't just lollygag and just try to 
do races where my safety goes up. I want to like be fighting with people. And then when you're fighting, you might make mistakes or, you know, you might bump somebody or if you put it down on a, on a lower rating to try to race with other people closely, then they're going too slow and you rear end them. I'm like, Oh man. <laughs> yeah. And since you're a racer, I'm sure you're always thinking about uh, if, if someone is within reach, how you're going to reach them and go by. Yeah. Then you may, then you go for a pass. that's just maybe a little too out of reach and you take them out. Like, ah, oh, that's another two points. <laughs> yep. yep. So there's always that balance of, yes, I want, I could probably make that overtake, but is it safe to do so? Am I close enough? Like, I don't think it's worth it. Is it too risky? Yeah, I'm, I'm sure there's still a lot of cal calculation and going to school um, in the racing simulator as well to figure out where you actually have more pace. Yeah, and where you have more grip, where you can push harder, and what's just a, a stupid corner to try to overtake somebody. You never know until you try <laughs> yeah, exactly because i'm always from the camp or from the school of thought it's like people say oh you can't pass here i'm like oh you want to you want to bet <laughs> yeah and it's always worth a shot because there's there's a chance that they won't be able to turn it up underneath via on the drive um now that's like something that is different with motor america racing versus club racing is every single time they're going to try to fight back as hard as possible. Yeah. There's no, uh, I'll, I'll just let you have it this time, but they're going to keep uh, fighting your tooth and nail to the finish line. Yep. Yep. For sure. Um, and so, uh, who's somebody you have your eye on? Is there anybody up and coming, whether they're in the junior cup or a different series that you're like, Oh, you got to watch out for this kid. Uh, well, actually, for the past couple of years, I would say I've been coaching a mini cup rider. And last year she did her full, first full season. And she's from uh, uh, Severance, Colorado, Kylie Botkin. Um, okay. And she's going to be racing a 190 GP2 and a 160, both ovales in the mini cup championship this year. Heck yeah. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm hoping to see her do really well. Um, she's definitely always finding pace. Yeah, it's exciting to see the kids come through the series and actually have a, a professional series they can race in now in the U.S. Yeah, it was quite a bit different when I was their age. Yeah, um, it's cool. You know, I like to see they have the Moto Three, Moto Two, Moto GP. I like to have them have a, a Moto Senior class. So that's just that's what happens if you win the championship in Moto America at Superbike at 55, you win it for the champion, 56, you can't race. So I'd say from 56 to 70 or something, um, have like a Moto Senior class, just like the, you got the mini cup. Uh, it'd be cool to have like a, a super mini cup with just 50s. Have, yeah, have yeah. kids on 50s be racing. Like every head cover, every age group is what I'm saying. Don't just have 14 to 55. What about all the other ages? Yeah, and I mean, if, if you're going to have a formula senior class, you should uh, make it or uh, uh, I think I lost you there. Can you hear me? Oh, no. The cost doesn't make sense now, but I don't. Hey, I think I lost you there for the last twenty seconds. Can you re can you say that again? 
Um, I was just saying that uh, for, Formula Extreme back in the day was a really cool series to see all the technical developments they were able to make. And if you could implement that into like another racing series, whether it's for uh, senior racing riders or not, it, it would be cool. Yeah, that'd be, uh, it's just, you want to include everybody and it's cool to see uh, even older guys pushing it. Cause I worked at Arma event at Daytona and uh, that was pretty cool, man. They were all on older bikes for the most part, uh, different bikes. They had they even had a modern class and Josh Harum was out there testing his Ducati but they had uh, the first electric bike I think I've ever seen on track there. And um, yeah. you just hear it whizzing by. It's like, which is <laughs> very, very quiet. Um, you just hear like the mechanical noises of it and some, some whizzing that goes by. But um, it's just cool, cool to see older guys on different bikes out there. And, and they might not be doing record lap times uh, for modern sport bikes, but they're, they're still pushing. They're still going pretty fast. Yeah, there, there's some guys in Arma racing bikes from the 1940s and stuff. And any just setting lap times and finishing a seven or eight lap race on a bike from the 40s is pretty impressive. Oh, yeah. Pre-war stuff, all kinds of different eras. They go by eras. It's not like what year is that bike. It's like what decade is that bike? Yep. Which is pretty cool to see. It's a whole new uh, class uh, structure. Yeah, I'm also... Uh, I, I, I think it's cool that you, you see a lot of older two strokes too. You see a lot of TZ and RS 250s out there for the R. Yeah. And those are always super. <laughs> for sure. So, yeah, um, next couple of weeks, I'll be doing, uh, like I said, Road Atlanta. And then the one after that, uh, I believe, will be Formula One in Miami. So, I'm pretty excited about doing the Formula One event. Um, like I said, just got back from the first MotoGP event. Uh, in Texas with uh, with you on track and man that was pretty cool doing the being a flagger for MotoGP and Moto2 or Moto3 and uh, it's like the highest form of motorcycle racing in the world and I was uh, working a part of it. Yeah that, that has been an amazing experience to get to watch a lot of that I mean not not all for fun but still yeah. hear and watch. Yeah, I mean it's it's a lot of work. You got to get up at like four forty-five, be at the be at the tent like by five, sign in, meeting at five thirty, off to your station at like six something, and then uh, uh, it was nice that our our corner captain or was uh, he rented a pickup truck from the airport, and so we just all piled in his pickup truck, most of us from the corner, and there was a shuttle too. Um, but we were fairly close to the uh, Marshall lot uh, camping. I just tent camped and um, I walked from the airport to the racetrack, which is like 10 miles. Um, so I just had like all my, my backpack and stuff on me and just slept there. And it was it was fine that way. Um, and then we get to the corner. It's like it's pretty damn cold in the morning. It's like 45, 50 degrees um in texas i thought it'd be a lot warmer than that but it warmed up to like 80 90 degrees by the end of the weekend Plus and, uh, brutal in the morning that chill breeze yeah it was, it was pretty cold um just in the tent and you know I, I have one backpack i'm trying to just be as minimal as possible so all i have is a sheet so i'm pretty much wearing all my clothes when i sleep you know trying to stay warm and not trying to get frozen um okay. But uh, they say it's it's uh, you sleep better when you're cold, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
Well, it's just because you're you're just uh, going to sleep in a, a couple different ways, right? You're like, oh, I'm going to sleep, but also you might be uh, hypothermic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, at least it wasn't snowing, so that was fine. Um, but yeah, it's it's uh, cool to be a part of it, and uh, you know, to make a difference. I was I was on TV again. Um, not, I mean, not really my face, but uh, I knew that was me waving the flag. I was like, no, that's me. So I saved a little little a video of it. Uh, it's cool to, oh, to have that. Flinders video. Yeah, Max Flinders, and he he lost it. He's high-sided himself to the moon, and uh, I got the flag out for that. Um, there's a bunch of people who's high-sided pretty bad. Sean Dillon Kelly did. Um, everybody walked away, and everybody was fine. I mean, Sean went to the hospital for checks. Um, I think Max might have gone to the hospital, but he said he, he like sprained his back. Um, so, I mean, that doesn't sound, sound good, but he, he, he raced the next day. So, I mean, he was fine, relatively fine. <laughs> he was racer fine. He, uh, he, he had a pretty good race too, considering his back. Yeah. I mean, uh, you can't miss that bike, the yellow highlighter, uh, airplane colors out there. Yep. So you know the story behind his color, right? I do not. Uh, I guess one of his, his sponsors, his paint sponsor, apparently uh, paints helicopters. And those helicopters are all yellow. <laughs> so he's like, I got some extra paint. You want, you want a paint job? He's like, sure, whatever color you got. <laughs> he's like, well, I got yellow. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, may as well. There's, there's no need to change the color uh, or buy different colors if you don't need to. Yeah. I mean, uh, it definitely stands out. Every time you go to buy your photos, you're going to be like, I know which one's me. I don't even have to look through all these. Yep, exactly. <laughs> so most of the time, everybody's wearing like black and white and very similar colors, blue and red. And it's like, it all looks the same. Yep, black body work. Um, yeah, it's, it's really tough to pick out. My buddy, uh, Josh Gerdo, I'm sure he'll be racing with you in the Stock 1000 class. He's on the purple machine um purple and green i think it is uh it's pretty hard to miss that one too it's all it's like the purple dinosaur <laughs> it, it definitely does help and, and then for the crew it's easier for them to be able to see um whether it's from pit or if they're if they can see a far away corner and some somebody fell down it's it's nice it, I'm, I'm sure they find a little bit of comfort in being able to <laughs> see who it is for sure um and uh so tell me about your training. What kind of stuff do you do to get ready for a weekend? Uh, well, I've got a uh, training advisor here in Denver, back back to movement, um, Jimmy Westover. He's he's fantastic. So he's got me on a week by week uh, training schedule. So it involves me being in the gym for shorter stints, an hour an hour a day, five days a week, um, nothing too crazy, and I. A, a, a lot of guys um, spin quite a bit, and I I do spin. And main now recently I've been rowing a lot. Um, it's just something Jimmy wanted to try, and I think it helps with on on the big bike. Just the bars are always moving around because the front end is off the ground quite a bit. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm in the gym five days a week for an hour and. I really try not to overdo it or hurt myself um, because in the end, it's just not, it's not worth it. It's better to stay healthy. Do you have a river nearby that you row in or are you doing it at the gym? 
uh, just doing it at, at the gym on the rowing machine. Yeah. <laughs> I'd like to get a kayak one, one day and, uh, sorry, actually rowing down the river, but, um, yeah, I've been, uh, I've been doing some rowing at the gym lately. Um, it's, it's a nice change of pace. You get, it's like a full body workout, get your legs back, your arms, kind of, kind of everything. And it's, it's tiring after a while. Yeah. And, um, I also think some of the breathing pr principles apply to riding when you're coming in on the brake. So you're, um, going in on the row, you're going forward, um, and you're exhaling or no, you'd be inhaling air to try to su support yourself. And then as you exit, you're exhaling air and trying to slunk back on the bike and give the rear end traction. And so that, I mean, you have to have a really good balance to be able to do all that, right? I would assume. So you probably do some balance work or stuff like that. Yeah, um, a little bit of balance work and a, a lot of like uh, shoulder state stabilization. Um, as I I started getting on 600s pretty pretty early, and I think I messed my messed with my shoulders a little bit. Um, riding 600s. I think I got on one when I was 15. A lot of guys have done it sooner and have had similar issues, if not worse. Um, but a lot of just trying to stabilize my shoulders. Yeah. You know, what's, what's really interesting is I talked to somebody recently about motorcycle riding and they just apparently knew nothing about how, how a motorcycle works. Um, and so you just don't know what people don't know. Um, and so they, they said, uh, oh, I thought it was uh, an all-wheel drive. I'm like, well, why do you think the chain is there? Like, what do you think is powering the front wheel? There's, it's just like, oh, I don't know. I just thought it was electronics or something. Like, no, it's just like a bicycle. Like, the, the rear tire only moves on a motorcycle, or at least powers you forward. The front yeah. wheel is only there for braking. Like, they had no idea. Like, yeah, some <laughs> people are not interested in the mechanical working aspects of anything. Um, and it, the same thing applies to a car. You still have to have a drive mechanism of some sort. <laughs> They're like, oh, I thought it was just Bluetooth or something. <laughs> I thought I actually just turned like, the, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe one day you could have Bluetooth with no drive shaft or chain or anything like that. Maybe with, with some of the stuff that they're coming up with. I don't think you'd be able to figure that out with uh, hydrogen technology, but maybe with EVs, they'll, they'll figure out a way to like uh, send a signal to something to be able to start uh, turning revolutions. But to, that is also what an electric motor is. <laughs> you know what I like to see um, is a Tesla racing league. Yes, that, that or a Tesla cup. Like yeah, a for sure. Why is there not a World Cup for like EV car? I mean, there's there's because a Moto E for motorcycles, and there's there's the Formula E for Formula cars, but there's not like a Model S or whatever the top uh, plaid Tesla I, is. I I think they should make it the base rear wheel drive single motor Model Three. It's that way. It's like the MX Five Cup kinda, but with uh, some weight reduction, and I. I think the issue with that is the concern for lithium fires. I know in Moto E, as soon as some somebody falls down, they pretty much red flag it because. Oh yeah, so when when we did that, we had that one or two bikes at uh, at Arma that was electric. They were 
in your face. They said, if one of these bikes go down, do not touch it. Walk yeah. away. Do not go anywhere near this bike. It could kill you immediately. Don't even think, don't look at it. Just go walk away from it. Don't even help out. Just you're not involved in this anymore. I was like, oh, okay. Like, and they were just over and over. Like, don't touch it. Don't go near it. Like, this is only to be used, only be picked up by certain certified people and personnel. Don't even go near it. I'm like, all right, I won't. All right, I'm done. <laughs> yeah, I'm not who's uh, scared of spontaneous combustion within. I guess, yeah, it, it could be a problem. For sure, it, it could definitely be a problem, um, but you know, you never know. I mean, all this technology is evolving and changing. So um, I think there, it could. It's probably going to be fine to be picked up, but they just don't want to take any chances. They just yeah. don't know what has happened to the battery pack and that collision. It could be fine, but they just they're just not sure. Yeah, and I'm sure it doesn't happen too often, as the riders are not riding over the limit <laughs> yeah they, they didn't crash at all that i that i heard of so it was it was fine but uh you never know even if they're not pushing hard there could be oil down or they make a mistake have a brain fart or something like that um this the scariest point for me as a corner marshal for that for the 200 actually that at the daytona event different weekend was uh there was one rider who who lost it on uh, I was at turn three so I was a flag marshal at turn three so you come around you turn right left and then you're going straight again for that first horseshoe right-hander that you turn there and uh, they're in a big pack at the start of the race I lost the rear end and I was heading straight for us and so he he crossed that, that line of cones you know from the pit lane to the the racing line there's a huge line of cones around there that's kind of unique and okay. he crossed the cone line and I see this huge, the cone go flying. I'm like, oh, and what? Oh, you know, it kind of distracted me. I'm like, there's a cone in there. What happened? Like, <laughs> and then he comes back onto the racing line. Uh, he misses us. He he stays on the racing surface in the pit lane. And goes back onto the racing surface. Now there's another cone flying. I'm like, oh, cones everywhere. <laughs> yeah. And you know, you hit a cone at 100 miles an hour. It's gonna go a fairly long ways. So we're like, oh, where's it gonna land? You know. <laughs> Yeah, it's like a spring when it's hit that fast. It compresses and decompresses really fast. My goodness. And I'm, I'm surprised, like, uh, he had no issue with, like, crashing because he hit the cones. Like, that wasn't even a problem. Like, it just, like, goes right out of the way. I'm thinking, like, it's going to get stuck under the tire. But you hit a cone at that speed, it's just going to bounce most of the time. I mean, don't take my word for it. Uh, but most of the time, it's just going to bounce, uh, bounce away. Yep. Yeah, I'm sure at lower speed there would be concern with it getting caught up or stuck in between the belly pan and the tire. But, but uh, it's it's kind of a hairy situation because normally when you're a corner marshal, you have two people per per station. So one person, the person with the flag, is looking towards the corner, and actually you're not looking at the people coming towards you. Yep. You have a second person who's in front of you, so you're you're both inside of each other. So I'm here, and the other person's here. We can look. We can see each other in our peripheries and she's or he is looking the other way. So if that person's like, you better duck if I do this or something like that, you know, because there there could be a motorcycle flipping or something like that. We're just behind a tire barrier, like six feet from the racing surface. So it could be 
if there's a situation behind, I mean, you can normally hear it, but uh, you never know what's going on behind you. Yeah, it happens really fast, and you never know a wild cone could could be coming right for you. <laughs> um, or sometimes you get a yard sale, and there's like a fork coming your way or a front wheel assembly. I saw this uh, one nasty crash uh, where it was in club racing, and it was a novice class, and somebody had rolled. You know, they ran off and come back on the track without um, checking to see if there was anyone coming, and the guys who were coming didn't expect uh, him to come back on so aggressively and big rear end uh, collision with a big speed differential and the front wheel with the slider portion of the forks and the fork bottom like was tumbling down the straight and went over the hot pit wall and the rest of the bike slid and it was it was nasty oh man um so i got a question for you um from your perspective, who do you think crashes more? Do you think it's the novices just starting out and trying to learn because uh, they don't know what's going on? Or do you think it's the experts trying to push to the limit and crashing? Oh, I think it's a mix of both. I think both things can be done well and goals accomplished with minimal falls. Things happen. There's things you can't control. But I, I do think most of the falls just on both sides come down to judgment whether it's a fall from an expert um, pushing the front tire and misjudges a braking marker or his front brake pressure coming into the corner, or if it's a novice who has a, a similar crash or gets back to the throttle too aggressively in high sides. Um, I think a, a lot of it, it's, it's human error for the most part, and it's all, it, it all comes down to judgment. For sure. Um, you know, I, I added some stuff to my, to my back uh, wall just recently. I don't know if you can you can tell, but I just added this Fabio Quattararo poster. Yeah. Um, I got that one uh, at the MotoGP event, and then um, I don't know if I should keep it or not. But I have this uh, this lot M. I got a parking pass. It's like, what am I going to do with all this stuff? I didn't even bring a vehicle. <laughs> yeah. And then yeah. Uh, I got the tabard. They call it a tabard. It's kind of hard to see, but. Um, it's like a MotoGP, this, it's like your track bib. Yep. So that's kind of cool, you get to keep that stuff. Does it say GP of the Americas on it? Yeah, USA 2022 track, MotoGP, FIA, or FIM, not FIM. So uh, yeah, it's, it's just, you can't really see too well with the coloring or the lighting. Yeah, that's, that's super cool. Yeah, so. Uh, it's cool to have that stuff, but it's like, I have too much of it at some point. Like I don't, I'm going to run out of place to put it. My brother just got me this for my birthday. I just turned 30 the other day. So he got me like a Lego or connects. I don't even know what you call it. Like a little uh, thing you get to put together. Yep. <laughs> That's cool. Yeah. With, with racing, especially with a full schedule like yours, you, t you are able to collect a whole lot of mom momentos and things to hold on to just in one year. Yeah, for sure. It's like I, I started throwing programs out. It's like I, I had 35 of these. I don't need this uh, anymore. But uh, some people hold on to them. Some people collect all that stuff. Um, I try not to be so much of the hoarder type. Um, I like to be minimalist as much as possible. Like when I go to a weekend now and I have one backpack and like one drawstring bag, that's that's all I take with me for, for a whole weekend. And I try not to Uber as much as possible. Like if it's... Uh, 
if it's a fairly close track like Coda, I can walk there and I don't have to even buy an Uber and save. It's like, cause I get there at 1030 in the morning. I don't have to do anything until tomorrow. It's like, if I get there early, what am I just gonna do? Sit in my tent? <laughs> yeah, and, 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 yeah, there's there's no real motivation. You, you may as well, and you probably get to see more. Yeah, you know, I, on the way back, I talked to this guy. Um, I mean, you, you're kind of in the slums of the town a little bit. Most of the time, um, I was right, right by this prison and this, and what yeah. this other guy called it a trap house. And uh, I talked to him for a minute. I was like resting at a bus stop and uh, a whole bunch of people came around. I was talking to them and, you know, they, they think I'm homeless because I have like a backpack. I, I look like um, I've been walking for a long time. <laughs> so yeah. I, I, fit, I fit right in. It's not even like I've, I'm out of place, you know. And this one guy was talking to me just uh, coming back from Austin. He was like, man, I've been in prison for 40 years. Like uh, I mentioned something about um oh yeah it's really not about being all book smart it's about being street smart you know trying to re trying to relate to him and all this yeah, and yeah. he started talking about yeah but actually like when i was in prison like i got a dictionary and i started out with like two letter words and then i went to three letter words and like that's a good plan like i never thought of that like i just i never went through that but that sounds like a good way to do it you know and just like shooting the shit with this guy for a couple minutes trying to rest my feet you know yeah 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 <laughs> It's it's crazy the people you'll come across. He was uh, super nice, and then this other guy came up to came up to us, up to us, and I've been sitting there for like fifteen minutes at this point. He's like, "You'll steal my food." He's like, "Where'd my food go?" I see an empty bag there. I'm like, "There's no food here when I got here, and if you left food here, that's a bad plan." Like, <laughs> I didn't say that, but uh, the other guy did actually. He's like, "You should never leave food unattended." Like, that's stupid. Is is. Yeah. He's ripping him up and down, like, thank you, because I was about, I was thinking that. <laughs> yeah, that had been my first time, Dakota, and I didn't, well, I had been there to watch a handful of years ago, um, but it's crazy that, um, you know, there's the big metropolitan area of Austin, and it's, uh, it's, it's definitely, it's uh, quite a bit different from what's around the racetrack per se. Um, and you go from this really crazy nice airport and they've, um, they've, they've got a decent highway system, but I don't like that it's almost all tolls. But then you get to around the racetrack and it's totally different. But um, I did really enjoy, there was these three Mexican restaurants that were adjacent. It wasn't the Coda Boulevard, it was Leroy or something like that. Um, that, that was adjacent to it. And there was three within like a mile and <laughs> they were fantastic. Nice. Yeah. I, I like the, the Mexican culture, the language. Uh, yeah. I speak Spanish. I, I'm trying to get better at Spanish all the time. So being in that environment is awesome because you can just go to the bar and practice Spanish. And like, unlike Michigan where I live, almost no one speaks it. Yep. And, uh, they, they were the only ones open, you know, late in the evening for, uh, the working crew to go get some food um, yeah. versus everybody else was closed and done done for the day. So it was nice that they were open. For sure. It's, it's good to have. And uh, yeah, I just, I just like the culture. Yep. Pretty good. Um, so I started the timer a little bit late, but I think we're a little bit over an hour. Um, yep. So we got a little bit of content. Do you want to go further or um, are you good today? Um, 
I'm completely fine with ending it now or going further. It's it's up to you. Um, I do have a couple items to do today, but nothing too pressing. Sure. So uh, let's talk on uh, where can we find you online? Where are you out there on social media? So on Instagram, I'm Sean fifty two Thomas. So it's S E A N five two T H O M A S, and then. Uh, my Facebook racing page is Sean Thomas Racing, and that's where I'll be posting uh, things on Facebook for this year's race program. Um, and that's pretty much it for the most part. You can find me at the Moto America Rounds uh, under the CW Moto paddock. So, and feel feel free to stop by and come talk to us. We always enjoy it. Are you on YouTube at all? Do you post any like race videos or practice sessions or anything like that? Um, unfortunately with Moto America, it's tough to be able to re record because they have regulations on whether we can record. Um, I do have a couple videos up on YouTube of me writing it in the past, but I don't foresee any more posted in the, for, for this year. Okay. And, uh, what about some of your sponsors who, uh, some of the people who support you? So, uh, my personal gear sponsors are Bison bison track they are fantastic Tasha uh, and robert oh yeah yep yeah and i uh, i just got my first suit from them this year and the the design and customization process is super easy and they're made in the u.s so there's not crazy lead times and and they're actually not made out of bison oh no no they, <laughs> they are made out of cowhide um you can option a kangaroo suit um that would be lighter um but i i use the cow one and uh yeah i've had a really great experience with them my other gear sponsors are scorpion helmets they are fantastic i've got an r2000 sitting behind me on uh, their new r1 air helmet with the air pump system is uh it's something i've gotten kind of spoiled with and really comfortable riding with same thing uh fabio quattro the world champion uses Yep. Yeah. And I, I actually have uh, one of the, I, I had two, but now I have one of the 400 Bautista replicas that were sold in the U.S. So. Oh, nice. Yeah. I mean, that was the first helmet brand I ever wore um, that I bought anyway. So it was, uh, I had, I think two XO 700s and two XO 750s back in the day. And I think maybe one more, um, but yeah, they were uh, a good, a good brand. Um I got nothing bad to say about them. Yep. And then uh, CD or Moto Nation slash CD Moto USA. Um, I've been using their boots for years and um, I just am, it's something I'm comfortable with and I really like their boots and their uh, quality is fantastic. Sounds like they have a lot of good replacement parts and uh, for different things for their soles. You don't have to throw the whole boot away. You can just replace things you need. Yep. Yep, they uh, do operate more on a parts re replacement style setup um, where you can replace uh, toe sliders and buckles and all these things that may break after a crash. Or that you might wear down if you're uh, trying to do the whole Fred Flintstone stop method. Yeah, yeah, good old dragging the, the foot and the foot brake. Because that's a pretty common thing nowadays. Yeah, and I, I I do it a little bit, especially coming into left-hand corners. Um, it just helps me feel more comfortable under heavy braking. Um, but yeah, pretty much everybody is doing it now. 
Now, if you had a thumb brake for your rear brake, do you think you'd actually use it on the right side more, the uh, Fred Flintstone? Uh, yeah, 100%, I would definitely use it. Um, I'd, I'd have to review it again, but um, not that it's my role, but I'm, but I'm fairly certain that a thumb brake is not legal for stock 1000 now there's it's it all comes down to the terminology of, of the rule uh whether it's stock hardware and you can get away with using a stock master cylinder just relocated and the stock brake caliber um but there's a little bit of fabrication to do on on, on that front to make it work because i um, i actually i'm a little biased i sell thumb brakes i think it's akasato and maybe discasiti might even sell them but i'm pretty sure akasato sells them and i'm a vendor of theirs so um, they're a couple hundred bucks. They're not super cheap. However, if you're going to use it more often, it's, if it's more ergonomically usable for, you know, turning right and actually getting the rear end stopped a little bit better, um, it could be interesting. Now, imagine, I think of it like uh, it's not really a performance benefit. Like there's nothing, um, nothing different about the brake. It's just the position of the brake. So if you imagine you had like a, a bad right foot. Imagine if you had a prosthetic right foot and it was just a, a ergonomics thing. I think it'd be okay to move it to your thumb and, and not get penalized for that, right? Yep. And Moto America has done that in the past. So a really good example of that. And I'm sure he can uh, speak more on it than I can would be Chad Lewin. Um, he had an injury to his right leg a handful of years ago from what I understand and he utilizes a thumb brake a lot. And I would imagine he would tell you that it made him a lot faster. Now, isn't that also true? I don't wanna uh, point him out, but isn't that also true with Tony Blackall? Uh, I, I'm not 100% sure, but um, I know it's not a super un un uncommon thing. Yeah, because um, I think he had a, um, a limb lost in, in combat in Afghanistan or something like that in the military or one of the forces. Yeah. Then he uh, definitely needs to have a thumb break to be able to use it. Um, yeah. I'm not, I'm not sure which, which uh, appendage it is, but I think it's one of his legs. That's awesome that he's racing. That's really great. Um, yeah. It's, it's good to see our veterans and heroes get to uh, take advantage of riding motorcycles, just like the rest of us. For sure, and I remember when I was racing, he's from my region, he's from, I don't know exactly what state he's from, but uh, must be close to Michigan because when I was racing and coming up, he was always like one of the guys, people would say, oh, watch out for, for Tony Blackall. He's, he just won the championship or something like that. He's like the guy to beat. And then uh, he took a couple years off. And then uh, that's kind of when I came through and uh, I was like, I was waiting for him to come back to the grid. I was like, where's this guy? You know, he, everybody told me to watch out for this guy. And, yeah. uh, and then a few years later, I guess he did a service. He served some time. He's back on the grid. So uh, it's, it's just cool to see that full 360 and, uh, you know, take a break and come back and be, and he came back and right into professional racing. So yeah. uh, it's cool to see that. And uh, it's, it's inspiring for me because, you know, I earned my professional license, I think, seven years ago now, 2015. And I just financially was never able to uh, to compete professionally. So um, the highest uh, I did was expert nationals and all that. Um, but uh, I really want to get back into it. So he is like a, 
a person that I can look up to and say, look, he took a break for a couple of years. He got back into it and he's doing well at the professional level. Uh, yeah, I think yeah. it's a matter of funds. Uh, the hardest part about racing is just funding it. Yep, that, that is exactly a 100% accurate point is it's who can um, source or has the, the funds to, to stick around in for long term because at some point everybody ends up in that situation. Um, I know when I took a couple of year long break from racing, it was just with COVID and, and everything. Um, there was a lot of uncertainty in the racing paddock and the, and the racing scene at first. And um, it just didn't seem super appealing to go racing. And I know it, would, it had to have been tough on the sponsor front, um, but it turns out the manufacturers sold a ton of bikes during that time um, and set records for sales. So now they're back in it, I would say stronger than they were in 2019. That's good news for sure. You know, it seems like there's such a, a drought or a, a lack of motorcycles available right now at dealerships um, because I would love to get some help from a dealership. I think that's really where you can get serious help is maybe a dealership or um, somebody told me the other day, why don't you go ask a whole bunch of like famous people for money? I'm like, <laughs> I guess that could work. Um, but because like really a full season of amateur racing, like an expert series might cost $30,000, right? Like at least a couple grand a weekend, maybe a motorcycle in there, that's 10 rounds. That's a good series. That's a good, that's a good year for an amateur. Uh, but a full pro season, you're looking at at least 50 grand, I'd say, to, to you could easily spend 100, 150,000. Yeah, I think yeah. class a lot and then certain classes have different nuances where you might end up going through bikes or going through motors. Like um, I'm sure there were some junior cup programs that blew up um, bigger than imagined because of issues with motors or they're high, high strung or whatever the deal is. There's always unexpected costs, but yeah, I'd say that's a pretty reasonable estimate with a uh, few, few falls. So, I mean, a $30,000 season would change the life of somebody. Uh, and imagine like you got this movie star millionaire, $30,000 is just dropping a bucket. That's like a weekend in Vegas or something, you know? Yeah. Like it's, it's just pennies on the dollar to somebody like that. But how do you get hooked up with uh, an Ashton Kutcher or a type of fellow? Or like, uh, what's his name? Um, Keanu Reeves is actually sponsoring Damien Chigalov. Keanu Reeves owns Arch Motorcycles. Um, and so Arch Motorcycles is a new brand of bikes that's coming out that he is a big, sounds like he's designing or has a big stake in that company. Yep. So it's like a, a, a character like that. Um, like Michael Jordan was a big uh, supporter for a while. Um, how, do yeah. you find, how do you find those people though that, that have an interest in motorcycles? Or like Paris Hilton, I think, was sponsoring NASCAR for a little while. I, I think he had sponsored a race team, a motorcycle racing, racing team in California too. But uh, yeah, I, I would imagine the people who are interested in the, the, cele the celebrities' best interests keep them under locks a little bit um, to keep people away. But uh, 
Yeah, and then I'm sure they're also, I, I have no idea, I'm not 100% certain, but I would imagine they pay like insane, insane tax rates. So they're thinking about that $30,000 as they had to make 60 or 70 to have that 30. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's a, it's a tough world out there. But uh, it's just interesting, like there's to tons of money out there, people are making it happen. It's all about finding it. Yeah. who it's i wouldn't say it's it's tough to say it's about who you know but it really it really is to some extent and so i got kind of fed up with the whole sponsorship thing so i decided you know what i'm going to start my own business it might take me 10 years to get there or longer who knows but uh i'm going to sell my own parts and try to make my own money and fund it myself because you see a decade long pro seasoned pros um, a sponsor bows out and they don't have another hundred grand to put into the series to for them to race and they're done. So, yep. it's like, I mean, look at, look at Bobby Fong. I don't know his, his exact situation, but you know, like he's a top level guy on a top team and, and now he's in the Harleys. Right. Yep. So like, how did that happen? Yeah. I, I think there's multiple factors. Um, I think the availability of, uh, of the other riders is part of it um falls as part of it um a lot of decisions have to be made tough calls have to be made by the race teams about who makes who makes sense to have on board um right so if you pay your own way no one can say you can't ride yep exactly and that's why i really like your plan <laughs> um, but uh yeah it's 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 really difficult and a, a, a lot of guys end up in a very similar si situation to bobby and I'm, I'm sure he'll make it back out there. Um, he definitely is super talented and super fast. Um, but or look yeah. at a guy like, uh, look at a guy like Josh Hayes, who won the championship how many years in a row, gets second place one year, and then gets booted out because he's, he's not the ideal candidate they want to market, essentially. Yeah, and, and and I know he still works for Yamaha in some capacity. Well, I, I don't know. I, I believe, or last I heard, he was still working for Yamaha in some some capacity. Um, and yeah, things things change really fast, especially in racing. Um, and I think you know Josh has definitely uh, figured out other avenues really well. He's he's a really good example of. Uh, making it him and melissa making it their own way um, oh yeah that, that's a cool uh, pair to see and uh, a couple it's like a tag team couple who are just killing it you know melissa can ride and race and she's um getting her feet wet with this uh, mechanic deal and the crew chief and uh, doing really well with the altus motorsport team and uh sounds like she's putting a good package together for her riders and you got josh you know he can put his own package together see that's kind of what I'm trying to do with this podcast and trying to like build a name for myself and build a business yeah. is that if you have enough followers, you can do it all yourself. You don't have to have um, team monster energy Yamaha backing you. You can, yeah. you can be Eric Swan racing.com um, sponsor, sponsor name um, and fund it yourself. Potentially if you have 4 million, you know, fans, it, it's doable. If you have, and like I'm at, I think thirty thousand now, which is better than most people, but um, it's not, it's not there yet. So I've just got to keep banging on this craft until it keeps getting bigger. There's that. Uh, 
Italian guy, Alberto Nasca, and he is a really good example of that. I think he, he most likely owns his own business in Italy and does a lot of things on YouTube and stuff of that sort and has a lot of followers that help him race, I think, both at a club and CIB level. Okay, so pretty high level then. Yeah, yeah, and he has a lot of cool videos of riding with uh, Jonas Folger on track days and stuff like that. Yeah, it's like uh, after I had to stop racing for a couple of years, I, I always wanted to do something with uh, like a podcast, but I never had the balls to do it. And uh, I was like, I know so many racers and I have, I have such a network of people that I know. Um, it's like, man, it feels like it's such a waste to not do anything with this. So I started reaching out to people just like yourself and like, yeah, I love to talk and love to help promote uh, your sponsors and, and you as a racer and hopefully you can get further along um, and all that stuff. Yeah, we're, we're definitely going to keep working hard and uh, fight for every little bit of uh, pace and fin finishing position we can this year. For sure. So, um, you know, later, later today, next thing I'm going to be doing is driving to my parents' house. My mom uh, just retired yesterday. I had the last day of, uh, of work. So we're doing a little retirement party today and uh, celebrating for her. That sounds like a ton of fun. Tell her congratulations for me. I will. And uh, I'll get this posted in the next couple of days. You are the next one to be, uh, to be published. So it won't be too long. I'll get this one done before we head to uh, Atlanta. Before, uh, be sure to post it and share it um, as much as you can. So I get as many views as possible and yeah, uh, do the same. Sweet. Thank you. Thank you, Eric. You're very welcome. And hopefully in about a year or so, we can do it again and get a little recap. Sweet. Sounds like a plan. All right, man. Uh, keep it on at least one wheel. I will. All right. Peace. <laughs>